Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friend, Corey, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. The 409 hit town in 1961 and was Chevrolet's first really big engine. It was a board and stroke version of their W Series 348. And in addition to the sheer size of the motor, it had a few other features which made it one of the muscle car era's earliest horsepower kings. This is a stock 409 Chevrolet head. It is it's, it's part number 690. It was made back in the 62-63 era. You got a completely flat head, you got a complete uh, flat piston, no dome. Uh, so you have a perfect flame travel. Lamar Walden has been racing 409 since Chevy started making them. It's safe to say he knows as much about them as anyone alive. Walden knows all this motor strengths and weak points. This is a, a dome piston compared to the 409 piston. The, the problem that uh, there arose here was this was obstructing the big dome was obstructing the flame travel so you had to put a notch in it even though uh, you put the notch or whatever you still had flame travel travel with the big combustion chamber or the big dome compared to the flat top piston of the oven end. Walden Automotive's test engine is a 1962 vintage 409. It came from Chevy with two Carter four barrels, a solid lifter cam, and factory exhaust headers, and they rated it at 409 horsepower. It's time to see just how much of that legendary grunt is real, and just how much is legend. Let the games begin. There you have it, Bowtie fans. The tail of the tape on the Beach Boys' favorite engine reads like this. 406 horsepower and 430 foot-pounds of torque at 6,000 RPM. After 45 years, this warhorse can still get it done. That's our benchmark of performance so far in our dyno shootout of the muscle car era's baddest bad boys. Great. Our next rowdy contestant is a true icon of the muscle era the Super Duty Pontiac 421. The 421 SD didn't just do good on the racetracks of America, it helped save Pontiac from extinction. Pontiac engines, they have a, a lot of stroke, uh, a little bit smaller bore than the big block Chevy stuff, but they make a really broad uh, horsepower and torque curve, which is really good for accelerating heavy cars, uh, especially like the old 62, 63 Super Duty cars, uh, the big Catalinas. Uh, those things need a lot of torque to get them moving. In the early 60s, things weren't going so well for Pontiac. In fact, the bigwigs at GM were threatening to close Pontiac down if sales didn't improve. Enter a young whiz kid named Bunky Knudsen, who turned Pontiac around in less than five years by building horsepower and winning races. What we've got here is an all-original 1963 Super Duty motor. We built for a customer of ours named Ron Chandness. This thing has a four inch stroke, it's 4135 bore, which is 30 over. Other than that, it's all basically stock. It's got a copy of a Magna Killer number 10 cam in it, comp cams. It's got the original four drives in it, uh, four pistons, the original heads. 
Uh, this thing was rated at 405 horsepower from the factory, and uh, we think this one's going to make probably 100 more than that, somewhere around 500 horsepower. Well, it's time to put the pedal to the metal and see if the Super Duty is still super. Here goes. It's possible to build an aftermarket Pontiac engine now from scratch uh, using aftermarket block, aftermarket crank, aftermarket heads. We're even reproducing new timing covers. Every piece of the Pontiac motor is available in aftermarket now. You don't have to go out and search the junkyards uh, for, for hard to find pieces and parts anymore. Uh, the, the Pontiac community has really grown in the past 10 years. There's a lot more stuff available than needs to be. And now, a word from the restorers. These engines are some strong running iron, no doubt. But they're also valuable iron. Even though these vintage motors can still make great power for all-out performance applications, Ted Fisher from Engine Systems has a word of advice. Most of these engines I work on are older than I am. What I always try and tell people, if you're going to race it and you're going to hot rod it, there's people making aftermarket blocks, so hopefully this stuff will be preserved for the restoration. There's so many aftermarket parts available now for these engines that you can do a replica engine. You want to save engines like this. This, this wouldn't be a, uh, a good candidate for racing because it's so hard to find. This thing needs to be put up somewhere uh, in a museum. You need to spend your money on aftermarket parts if you want to go racing. Pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Nothing up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Hey everybody, this is Mark Farner, the founding member of Grand Funk Railroad, and I'm listening to nostalgic radio in cars where they'll knock you alive. Welcome, you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google TanTalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. And check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. If you uh, do that, you'll find out all about us. Not to mention, if you want to listen to all our past shows, 500 and, geez, close to 30 of them now, be sure to check out our archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening, Bobby. How are you? Hello. Hello. There's only one of me. Hello, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got Scooby with us. We got our mascot in here with us. Got us. He's you can't tell. He's really hard to get him to talk, isn't it? Well, see if we can get him to get him. <laughs> All right, there we go. Anyway, yeah, only we get, once a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, we want to uh, uh, welcome everybody this evening. We have a very good show tonight. We have a legend coming on again for all you. F-body fanatics. Now, granted, I always have to preface by saying I am a Ford guy, okay, through and through. I believe blue. However, I am a closet F-body fanatic, second-gen Camaros and Firebirds. I truly, truly love those cars. Now, for a quick story. We always like stories, okay? And this is how it became. When I was in high school, I had my Ranchero, and I used to run pretty pretty quick on the street. I was in a 12-second bracket. But I was running, you know, 12 and a half, 13 and one motor, 514 gears, all that of the good stuff. And it was really, really hard to hook up. And so, you know, my top speed was like about 40 miles an hour in my 72 Ranchero GT. So I had that car throughout high school. But a buddy of mine who started out with a Mustang and I started out with a 57 Thunderbird, which I still have too, by the way. Um, both cars, both Rancheros, still sitting nice and neatly tucked away in my garage. And uh, he got his dad bought him a 65 Mustang and uh, fastback and we kind of tricked it out a little bit just just cosmetics and then for some strange reason uh there was a new car lot uh that opened up downtown clearwater and he would show up with some pretty cool cars a lot of camaros firebirds you know uh b-body mopars uh chevelles and pontiacs you know gtos and stuff like that occasionally some camaros and mustangs and torinos but one day he had this really cool it was a blue on blue uh 1970 ssrs 300, I think it was a 350 horse. It, was, it had a little bit of a lopy motor in it, so I think it was an option back then. It's 350 horse, 350, 350 horse. 
if I remember correctly. But anyway, so Rock bought that car, traded his Mustang in. I was ticked. But I started driving the car, and he would let me drive it a lot. And I thought, wow, this is a pretty cool handling car. And I was kind of really impressed with it. I mean, the Mustangs handled good. You know, my Rancher was big and cumbersome. And uh, my Thunderbird, you know, it was 50s technology, actually 40s technology. So it didn't really do much going around the corner. But I got this, you know, in 1970, I saw a movie that came out. It was called Vanishing Point. And uh, it was starred Barry Newman, and he was driving this Challenger, 70 Challenger. And uh, that, I thought that was kind of a cool car. And I always wanted to challenge it. And then, uh, obviously, growing up in Northern California, Shelby's Cobras, you know, stuff like that was all over the place. Boss Rio 2, when it came out, I thought the graphics were amazing. 70 Torinos, I thought was a stunning car. The 70 uh, Roadrunner, I thought was a good-looking car. I love the 70 Super B, even. But I drove Rock's Camaro. Okay, fast forward, 1978, 79. My buddy buys a—I'm uh, in the Porsches by then, not 11s and stuff. I still have my American cars, but I was, I was kind of gravitating towards sports cars because I started going to the road races. So I was a road racing nut. And I like drag racing, too, but road racing really turned me on. And uh, so anyway, what happened was is we were on our way to Atlanta because with the Shelby Club, what I would do, because I had a 69 Shelby back in 75, 78, 75, 76, 78, whatever. Still have that, too, by the way. Um, and I, uh, we, we would autocross. I got into autocrossing, and that's what kind of, and that was through a friend of mine, Dom Forte, down here in uh, St. Petersburg, has Forte's Automotive and Forte's Classic Garage. Big shout out to those guys. 727 544 if you need your classic car fix. They are stand up guys, family run business. Uh, Dom, his son Chris, and Anthony, and they're in the ski boats as well. But anyway, so Dom got me hooked into uh, road racing or uh, club racing and autocrosses and gymkhanas and stuff like that. 79, we're going away to Road Atlanta because there's an autocross up there. I'm a Shelby guy. It's a Shelby Club event, and for some strange reason, it seems to me it was against the Porsche Club. And uh, so Don drove a 78 Z28. It was an automatic car. It was the only time he ever ordered an automatic because he was always a stick guy, which was kind of weird. But uh, I guess he was getting lazy. I'm not sure. Um, at any rate, we drove his car up there. Now, he did lower it, and he made his air scoop functional because in 78, they weren't functional or anything like that. They didn't have ram air. My buddy... His buddy, our buddy, Chris Clary, Chris Clary, was using his brother's 79Z28 four-speed car, T-top car. So we met up there in Atlanta because his brother, his brother, Chris's brother, worked for one of the magazines and was writing these, uh, was writing articles. And what he would do is he would get cars, you know, he would get promo cars, they would get promo parts, they put the parts on it, they test the parts, and they'd write articles on it. Well, in this particular case, it had. One big, giant Herb Adams sway bar. Now, Herb Adams is a legend in the Pontiac world, okay? And we'll get to that in a little bit. So anyway, so I was, like, really antsy. I said, damn, I wanted to race. I wanted to race really, really bad. Well, Don's out there competing with the Shelbys and the Porsches and stuff, right? And Camaro, it's okay. It's hanging in there, right? And, uh, and, his, and, and Don's a pretty good driver. And today he races semi-professionally. So he's, he's done very well for himself. Um, and uh, so Chris goes, well, you know, if you want to borrow my brother's car, you could do that. So we went through tech, and tech told me that I had to take the T-tops off, the center caps off. Anything that would fly off the car, I had to take off the car. The only thing this 679 Z28 had, T-top car, mind you, was this big, giant Herb Adams sway bar. The rear sway bar wasn't even on the car. Normally, they come with a front sway bar. They have 41 suspensions, a front sway bar, and a rear sway bar. So this sway bar, I believe, was an inch and a half or inch and a quarter or something like that, but it was a pretty good-sized sway bar. Shelby's had an inch and a quarter sway bar, okay? One inch, inch and a quarter sway bar. It was an aftermarket deal that they put on them. Actually, it was through Shelby American, but then the bosses and stuff, They it was part of the Trans Am program. Anyway, so I went out there, and I was able to race. Now, I was racing against 40 cars in my class, and by the end of the day, and I still have the trophies to prove it, I took first in my class. I was embarrassed. I blew away all the Fords. And not to say that I was a great driver, but that Camaro handled so well. All right. Fourth in my class, uh, fourth overall and first in my class against other Porsches. And this is at Road Atlanta. We only ran the first seven turns so we really only took half the track but you had to go but this is the twisty part so if you're familiar with old road atlanta it was a pretty amazing track and i was sold on a second gen f body camaro or firebird and so the two cars that i've always wanted was somewhere between a 70 to 73 trans am 
and a 70 and a half Z28. Now we have a 74 Z28. It's a factory four speed car. It handles pretty good for what it is. And we have a 78 and I've had that probably for a million years too. I got more cars than I need to have. But anyway, and I don't mind sharing it with you because I'm a car guy, but none of these cars are perfect. They're just all kind of, you know, survivor cars from back in the day. Cause I didn't buy anything recently. I've had them for 30, 40 years. But in 1971, when I first moved to Florida, my mom and dad had a little motel in Clearwater Beach, and many of you that know me know that I had a motel. I worked at the motel a lot. Well, my neighbor Bob and Bommel had a '70 Trans Am Ram Air. I'm not sure what it was. Four-speed Trans Am. '70 got two colors. I think it was lucerne blue and white. Uh, I think the first cars that came out were white with the blue stripe. Anyway, so he was always working on his car. So I remember one time I was walking home. I used to mow lawns in the neighborhood, and I was hanging out with him. And he says, "Here, hand me a." five-eighths wrench, hand me a three-sixteenths uh, three this, and a five-eighths this, and a half-inch this, and a three-quarter, three-eighths drive this, and a half-inch drive that, and heck, I didn't even know tools that well back in the day. I knew what a crest You were just dumber than a bag of hammers. <laughs> anyway, he got the car running one day, and he was in high school. He was a couple years older than me, and I remember he coming around on, on Gulfview Boulevard, which is the main drive in Clearwater Beach. Everybody used to hang out in the parking lot. You had four guys, Chevy guys, Mopar guys, Pontiac guys, Oldsmobile guys. Everybody kind of hung out there, you know. And uh, so the thing was, you came out of the parking lot, the beach parking lot, and you staged for a second, you let the tires up, and you went through the gears. Cops kind of, yeah, You know, if you're a real moron, you know what you're doing. They busted you if you were okay at it. You know, if you had a really impressive car, and you could go through all four gears in a matter of 20 feet, you're pretty cool. Well, Bob's Trans Am did that. And Bob's a really good friend of mine from way back when. I haven't seen him in a few years, so big shout-out to Bob and Bob if he's out there somewhere listening to the show. But that kind of got me hooked on Trans Am. Now, what I'm going to do right now is Bobby's going to fire up the stereo because I think today is Mark Farner's birthday from Grand Funk Railroad, so we're going to play a little Grand Funk. And yesterday was uh, Randy, Randy Bachman from Bachman Turner Overdrive, yeah. and uh, guess who? So uh, you tune into Nostalgia Getting Cars, don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with our very special guest here in a little bit. To be in love To be in love Well, let her be somebody else's queen I don't want to know about it There's too many others that know what I mean And that's why I got to live without it I'm in love with the girl I'm talking about I'm in love with the girl carshows.com on your computer or on your mobile device flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles whether you're looking for car shows cruise-ins meetups automotive festivals cars and coffees or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine then this is a site for you check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. Okay, we're back, and you tuned into Nostalgic Rainbow Cars. Yes. Okay, so now, in a few minutes, we're going to play a clip from uh, the movie Mac Q. And in the movie Mac Q, John Wayne, 
who is basically, yeah, kind of a cop, uh, drives, and I remember when this movie came out, a Brewster Green 73 Trans Am. Now, in 73, up 70, 71, 72, Firebirds came in either Lucerne Blue or White. And in 73, they offered three colors, Buccaneer Red, uh, White, and Brewster Green. And then I think in 74, they had added a few more colors to it. But 73 was the last year of the traditional, the original design with the original front end and everything like that before impact bumpers and stuff. So I saw that movie and I thought, wow, that was really cool. There was a movie that came out a little before that. It had John Carradine in it and he was driving a red Trans Am, about 70, 71, 71, 72. Not the original color, but they painted it for the movie for the purposes of the film. And that was kind of a cool movie. So there's been Trans Ams have been in a number of movies. Now, Z28s, I can't recall any. But I will say that the SSRS 7 and 73 Z28s is a a very good-looking car. And a big shout-out to Kenny, because Kenny has one of those. He's uh, one of our avid listeners. And Scott, I think Scott might still have a 68 Camaro. But at any rate, um, we're going to go to... At any rate... At any rate, yeah. But well, we're going to shout out shout out some great barbecue first. Yeah, why don't you shout out yes. some great barbecue? 501 that's the number for the Rib Shack Barbecue. You can order with Uber Eats or Bite Squad if you don't want to leave your house and have that delicious barbecue delivered to your door. Yeah. As well as thanking the uh, number one pillow salesman here at the Tantalk Radio Network, Bill, this is MyPillow, and promo code Bill. This is how you go to MyPillow.com and use promo code Bill. In the only in America. Only in America show. Only American show, yes. Okay, so... Then, of course, the best place to find car shows, whether virtual, in-person, unperson, whatever, they all across the state, flacarshows.com is the place to go. Okay. Now, for next month is uh, October, which starts in a couple days. We got a theme that we're working on, so we will announce it next week, what our surprise theme is for the for the month of Rock. October. So, oops, did I still, what? <laughs> did I did I give it just a hint? Anyway, so yeah, they'll, they'll still be thinking about it for a yep, while. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so without further ado, let's go ahead and fire up the uh, turntable there, and let's uh, get our guest on here in a few minutes. And you're tuning into Nostalgia Weekend Cars. This is going to be a really good show. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Walk your street, and I walk my. Should see my world, meet my kind before you judge our minds. and junk is missing. Hold it! And somebody's trying to hang it on McHugh. I got a message from Patty Samuels. He's sorry he blew it on McHugh, but he rang it up with Boyle. You're off the investigation, Lieutenant. Pending review. Think about it. Frank, let him go. He was never part of the team anyway. I don't like you. I never did. You're a bear. I don't like bass. That gun's not licensed, McHugh. Neither am I. Santiago's got company from out of state. Santiago's collecting a murder squad. Suspects include lifelong friends. 
Evidence points to police brass. And the payoff is a trap for McHugh. All right, man. Come on out. We know you're in there. McHugh's got a job. If he can't do it with the law, he'll do it beyond the law. All right, bring him out. McHugh, the cop nobody can stop. Not even the cops. You've never seen John Wayne before. Like this. McHugh from Warner Brothers. This is Ed Fink, legendary engine builder. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's all about the 1973s, actually 70, 71, 72, and 73s, the movies, the cars, the music, and our special guest this evening. I'm delighted to welcome to the show the project lead engineer for Pontiac's, let's just call it their hot rod division, the legendary Herb Adams. Herb, how are you? Still good, thank you. So give us a little background on yourself. You started with General Motors at a fairly young age, and I guess you kind of got lucky and walked right into a really cool position with Pontiac, right? Yeah, uh, first connection with uh, remotely with General Motors is uh, back in the 50s, uh, Fisher Body, which was a division of General Motors, put on a uh, contest for high school kids to design model cars, and then they built the models and sent them in. And they had a contest going on, and it was pretty widespread around the country for for this thing in that period. That was my first experience with it. And then, then, uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, and then from there, what happened? Well, uh, I won a scholarship for one of my models, and uh, I was able to relay that into getting approved to General Motors Institute, which was a actually recognized college. It still exists. It's called Kettering now. And uh, so I, I went to uh, to that, got a, a four-year you know program to get, be a project engineer. So that that was my next connection. Okay, and, and then- I started that in what about 1957, and what's significant is uh, the glory years of Pontiac started about then too. So I wasn't part of it, but I got to watch it, you know. And that, that was basically with Newt's Anastas and DeLorean when they came into Pontiac and turned it around. So what was it like working for uh, John D. Z. DeLorean and uh, Bunky Newtson at the time? Well, I never worked with Newtson. Like I said, I was a student, okay. and he was general manager. Uh, I, I think I saw him once. <laughs> uh, now, the next guy in line was Estes, and I did have one encounter with him as a, a student. Uh, we had an argument on how to design a defroster nozzle, and, and he came to my side, so <laughs> that was good. And now, then, uh, you said I did work with DeLorean quite, you know, quite a bit actually. Okay. Now you said you designed a defrost nozzle. So what people don't realize every time they think of car design, they don't realize that there's a team of designers that design small little parts. I don't care if it's an ashtray bearing, a uh, 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 headlight switch, a rheostat, or you know, a, uh, a wiper squirter. So. How does how does that how do you how do you go through the process and go from there to being kind of like the lead projects engineer on uh, some of the coolest Pontiacs that ever uh, spun some tires on the on the asphalt? Yeah. Well, I was a student when that go around with Estes. Okay. And then, uh, when I became an engineer, uh, I had to you know work in the plant for a year to get experience in that regard. And then uh, when I came out, I was. Uh, a project engineer in, uh, I don't know, I did that for a year or so, and then uh, they, they had at that time, we used to actually test cars, you know, for performance in, the, in fuel economy, and I got the job to run that team out at the proving grounds. 
so <laughs> kind of a funny story. So I'm out there doing my job the best I could. And at that time, DeLorean was the head of Pontiac. And he uh, had the Banshee on his list. He wanted to do a sports car called the Banshee. And uh, Bill Collins was his project engineer on it. And so I'm out there one day, you know, running tests. And he and John and Bill show up with the Banshee, you know, the zoomy-looking sports car. And uh, I didn't know what was going on <laughs> in they jumped in the car, and right when they get in, Bill Collins looks at me and he says, Herb, grab that D-Jag, uh, which we had sitting around, and see if you can keep up with me. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> so there were, there's a, a handling road, of course, and uh, so I'm right, you know, two car lengths behind him for the whole trip. <laughs> and I remember when DeLorean got out of the car, he looked at me and he says, I guess Herb didn't understand the purpose of this demonstration <laughs> because, you know, obviously they wanted to be able to pull away from the EJAG. So that was my first experience with John. But I think it was a week later that he got me assigned to, uh, uh, what do they call it, Advanced Design, which was his contribution to Pontiac back in 57, was a, an independent engineering uh, group to do new ideas, and uh, so he got me put on that. <laughs> I guess because I upset the apple cart on his test. I don't know. Anyway, so I, I'm working advanced design, and uh, that was really great because you know there's a whole bunch of stories about things we did, but uh, I think more relevant to your your friends with. Fire with Transams is uh, the corporation never let John do his Banshee, but when the Mustang came, and then of course GM woke up and going to do the Camaro, and they gave uh, DeLorean the rights to do the Firebird, and that would, you know, that was first Firebird. I think was what '67, I think. Right. And uh, so he knew that was coming, and he called. Bill Collins again, uh, kind of a partner. He's way way more uh, authority in the organization I but we were a couple of hot riders, you know. And uh, DeLorean calls us in, and uh, he said, uh, I want a car, a Firebird, that's better than the Z28. And uh, that was our sign when he walked away. <laughs> do, do something. <laughs> And so we did. When, now, let me. I just want to back up just for a second. Uh, I, I have listeners that send me texts every once in a while, and somebody just sent me a text, and I was wondering, because back in the early 60s, they had the original Super Duty program with the 421 Pontiacs, and there was a right. gentleman by the name of Mac McKellar, yeah. and somehow there was an article, and I was reading it a long time ago, and I they just called to my attention that he had an overhead cam motor, 421, that had aluminum heads and stuff. What do you, were you ever ever involved in that? Do you know anything about that project? I, I was not involved, but I remember seeing it. Okay. And, and I also remember they never ran it. They never ran it? Never put it on the dyno. Okay. Now, you, <laughs> when, you, when you got involved with the Firebird now, you had, they had the overhead cam six-cylinder motor, which really the valve cover looks very similar to that. Is there any correlation between that 421 Super Duty overhead cam motor and then the, 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 the actually, it was kind of like a slant six, wasn't it? It was just a six. Oh, just straight, a six? Straight six. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, at, at that period, you know, there was interest in getting cheaper, smaller, you know, simpler cars and and uh i don't know who instituted the the inline six but i remember it being worked on i never worked on it now you the only thing the only thing i remember is uh the uh that engine was in a 67 69 f car mm -hmm. and uh when the new f car was coming you know in 70 and a half uh, the six-cylinder wouldn't fit. <laughs> the cr crank, you know, uh, cam pull pulley was too high in the hood, and that's when they decided to go with the V8 on on all the Firebirds. 
Okay, well now there was an article there where you were involved in a six-cylinder kind of an experiment with uh, some sort of prototype Pontiac with that Sprint motor in it, and you put a set of Webers on it, and you kind of uh, kind of created yeah. a makeshift shaker. Tell us about that story. Okay, well, like I said, the the program for the first Firebirds was six-cylinder base engine, mm-hmm. and so. DeLorean's concept of this new Z28 beater was more like a Jaguar or Datsun. In other words, high-performance six-cylinder engine. Okay. So they gave me a, a pre-production Camaro 67 and told us to do something, you know. So uh, in, in the process of trying to make the car handle better, we thought it'd be nice to add more performance. So we put uh, uh, Weber, three Webers on it. The trouble is we couldn't at the time, for, I don't reason the reason, but we, we could only get downdraft Webers. So by the time you, you know, put them on a six to try to get the, the you know, all the cylinders working, uh, the carburetors were sticking out the hood. So I cut a hole in the hood and we made an air cleaner that poked through the hood. The start of the shaker phenomenon. Take us to the design of the 69 Trans Am, how that came about. Okay. Uh, well, like I say, we got the assignment, make it better than a Z28. <laughs> okay. And they they gave me a, uh, a 67 Camaro prototype. Uh-huh. And what a mess. Oh, my God. What a car. Or at least the one I had to work with. It, it had power hop. It had brake hop. It had, uh, it, you couldn't even drive it down a side street and keep it, you know, where it belonged. It bounced all over the place and steered all over the place. And uh, I thought, oh, my God, you know. Now, I did put race tires on it. I figured if we're going to do a high-performance car, we better do all the work on race tires. And so the combination of the race tires and the production Camaro uh, suspension was terrible, <laughs> basically. So... What we did was a logical thing in trying to fix the handling. And, uh, you know, we went, uh, I think, two big, big steps. One is, of course, this power steering in those days was, you know, no no feedback and slow ratio and, you know, all that routine. And so I went to our, uh, the the Pontiac engineer in charge of steering gears, a guy named John Alphys. And uh, I told him, I said, I want something with you know, big, good feedback and, and fast ratio. And I can remember, he said, uh, talk to me next Friday, I'll have it for you. I mean, that's how, how easy it was. Wow. Talking to people who know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> and uh, so that was one of the big improvements, I think, was the fact that we had, you know, modern, modern what today is very normal steering, and then it was something big, new and different, so... And uh, what else do we do? Uh, well, the other big thing was stabilizer bar. Uh, you know, the car had a lot of roll, especially when you had sticky tires. And so we put a bigger front stabilizer bar on it. I think we went from like an inch to an inch and a quarter or something like that. But the effect was negligible. And all you got to do, again, is study the details. <laughs> and you see that... Uh, Connecting a bigger bar with soft uh, bushings gives you very little effect. So, again, I went to one of the Pontiac engineers, a guy named Josh Madden, who actually did the the Pontiac rubber front bumper. But I told him what I needed. I said, I need some bushings, you know, higher stiffness. And, he, again, he had them in a week later. <laughs> 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 These guys knew what they were doing. All they needed is somebody... Tell them. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Now, you, at the time, when did you actually get into racing? Were you kind of like a uh, sports car racer at the time, so you had kind of an understanding of all this? Because obviously, the average engineer that comes out of school doesn't really know this a lot of this stuff unless he's actually had some on-the-job experience, so to speak. And by that, I mean you've had some racing background, some driving uh, experiences, so you kind of know what a car is supposed to do, how it's supposed to handle. I mean, it's kind of like you were telling the story about the driving the E-Type Jag. 
or the DTEP, whatever it was back then. And I know that a lot of the manufacturers back then, Ford, GM, and Chrysler, would grab cars from other manufacturers and sports cars and try to copy them and you know use them and take them apart and dissect them and try to make their cars better. But what's interesting, throughout the 60s, okay, even though those were 60s and early 70s were my favorite cars, they never really put anything on the on the planet that was comparable to a European car. It was strictly all American. So everything you guys did was American. It was American handling, American cars, American muscle, and the whole nine yards. So from your perspective, were you at that time kind of playing around with uh, you know road racing cars or drag racing cars to kind of give you a little bit of idea of where you wanted to go with these cars? Uh, not initially. Uh, when I got put in uh, advanced design, let's see, that would have been about 65, I guess, somewhere in there. I was 25 years old. See? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I had experience with the model cars, but never in actually driving or racing. And, okay. and one of my assignments, in addition to making the Trans Am, you know, a, a, a neat car, was I was the conor, uh, coordination guy, engineer, with Jerry Titus, who had convinced DeLorean that he could race a Firebird. Okay. And so I had to go out and work with Jerry Titus and didn't have a clue. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm in a very strong <laughs> learning curve here. And, uh, and the, the beauty, I guess, was because of that experience with the actual Trans Am race car, I, I was able to feed some of that uh, flavor into the Trans Am model that we did. So. Okay. But that was my first experience. So the, the the Trans Am project, the 69 Trans Am, you know, was that, you were involved in that program. To what extent were you involved in that program? The development uh, of that car before it came into production? Well, we, as I mentioned, we did the steering and the stabilizer bars and mm-hmm. the wheels and tires and lowered it, of course, and stiffened the shocks. You know, we did, <clears throat> I would call it hot rod uh, ch- chassis development and uh, we did some aerodynamic stuff. A guy named Paul Lamar, who I met racing the Firebird, he came and we did quite a bit of uh, spoiler studies and, uh, you know, worked worked on the aerodynamics. And then, of course, styling took some of that and, and gave the car some visual character as well as, you know, handling. When they came out with the second-gen F-bodies, the Camaros and the Firebirds, were you involved in that development because the the, the transition from the from the first generation F body cars to the second generation, which happens to be my favorite by the way, the handling, the performance, the looks was entirely different and in my opinion far superior. Oh yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know we we did have a we thought a more exciting car was E twenty eight, but the 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 guys at Chevy did a great job. They uh, they split or Split the rear shocks, one front, one rear. Took care of most of the power hop and brake hop. Uh, they put the steering gear in, in front of the axle, which gives you bump understeer rather than bump oversteer. <laughs> okay. And and so they did it. You're right. They did a great job. But it was interesting. Of course, the fact that it, a bunch of renegade engineers and special, you know, uh, special. Uh, Advanced design, that was what, where we were. Uh, it really infuriated the regular Pontiac chassis guys. Like, what the hell are those guys doing? And how did they get that released? You know, <laughs> all this stuff. Well, it's because we had Bill Collins and, and DeLorean was still there. So we had a direct avenue. And we didn't even go through the chief engineer. Just one around them. Well, obviously in an organization that creates a lot of friction. And... Uh, so when the when the new, as you were saying, the second generation F car came on the picture, and of course we had prototypes, and and we could see it was a better car, but uh, because the chief chassis engineer was pissed because <laughs> I guess I can't use that word. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> because we went around them when it came time to release the the second generation. He just went with Z28 rather than all the work we'd done on Trans Am. <laughs> really? And, oh, yeah, well, this is how it works in the corporation. <laughs> and so I found out about it, and we had already developed some parts. And uh, 
I told Bill Collins, I said, you know what those guys are doing? And he didn't. So I said, what are we going to do? And I told him I had a package that he could, you know, evaluate. So I remember he gave me the, a prototype car on a Friday afternoon and said I had to have it back Monday morning. <laughs> so uh, myself and the guy working with me, Dan Harden, we took the car out to the proving ground and ran our stuff and ran their stuff. And at that time, our our package was eight-tenths of a G on a skid pad, which, uh, you know, at the time was really good. And the regular Camaro package was seven-tenths of a G. So we're, we had something to talk about. And, of course, we went back to to Bill, and he was, had enough power within Pontiac Engineering to get our stuff on the second generation, the, all of our handling improvements. And uh, the the chassis engineer was so delighted that he told his engineers they never were ever to look at a car on a skid pad again. <laughs> <laughs> Take well, you know, his... You work in a corporation, you know what it's like. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I, I've never been in corporate America, so I can only imagine what okay. it is. Poo-poo runs yeah. downhill. I do know that. That's what I'm told. But anyway, all right, so let's. we got a little bit of time left here. I want to get into the Super Duty programs. You were involved in the SDs, the 455 SD program. Tell us a little bit about that, how that came to fruition. Okay, we uh, part of our assignment with Jerry Titus was to uh, do the engine. And uh, at that time, the Fords and the and the Javelins were about 450 horsepower, and the limit was five liters, 300 cubes. You know, so the first Pontiacs we put together using the best parts available on a 303, it ended up being the Pontiac version. It was 300 horsepower. <laughs> oh, quite a ways from 450. See. Yep. So one of our assignments, in addition to working with Jerry Titus and doing the Trans Am car, was to do this 303 engine. And I had two really good guys working on that. Uh, Tom Nell and Jeff Young were the two engineers. Very, very talented. <laughs> and, uh, and they had car experience. You know, they, they weren't green by any means. And uh, so over a one-year period, we did get up to 460 horsepower. Just you know, cylinder head, camshafts, you know, mm-hmm. all the all the things you got to do to make the power. And we were competitive then. And a, a side thing was when DeLorean found out we only had 300 horsepower, he called Jack Brabham and asked him to do a, a engine for the Pontiac, you know, on Pontiac block. And it took them a year, and by then we had the power. So we we did get their engine and tested, and it wasn't any different than ours. We're in the same 450 range. So. Kind of a sidelight. Okay. <laughs> and the then... way, speaking of uh, Jack Brabham, it's interesting when we got what we thought was a good handling in 69, you know, the package, Trans Am. And of course, Bill Collins liked it, so he got DeLorean to show up. This is the general manager who comes and finds me in my desk. I want to ride your car. It's okay. So we ran out, and ran, he terrified the local roads, showing how fast it would go. And he, DeLorean liked it so much, he had Bram show up a week later to test it also. Oh, wow. That was impressive. Yeah. And Bram says, it's got a little bit of understeer. <laughs> the way you're driving it, yeah. <laughs> anyway, another Bram story. Well, now, back in the day when you were working for Pontiac, so like well, around. You want to go back to talk about engines? Okay. Well, oh yeah, talk about the Super Duty, right? Okay, a little little further along. Uh, okay, so we had found how to how to get a Pontiac to make horsepower, and uh, my boss at the time, Rusty, his name was, he said, "Why don't we take what you've learned uh, on the 303 and do a NASCAR engine?" Which at that time they were looking at uh, smaller displacement, you know, three. Yeah, well, we did a, a six-liter, 366, and we made, uh, I think, 600 horsepower. It was pretty pretty good. And then, so then, that all turned out real good, except the plant didn't want to bother with a six-liter six engine. So, again, Rusty said, well, why don't you take everything you learned on engine development and do a 
street ride. Now, Rusty was one of the guys did the GTO, so he, he had, you know, that background. And so we did the 455 Super Duty using what we had learned on the other two engines. And the first Super Duty engine was almost 600 horsepower. But then, you know, we had to put up with emissions, and and uh, they they quit, quit doing gross horsepower and went net horsepower. And, and uh, you know, they finally whittled it down to, what was it, 400 or something in production. But, but the potential was still there for Super Duty. Interesting, interesting. And, of course, I got fired for doing it, but that's another story. Well, now... Oh, really? Okay. So, well, we'll ha- here's what I want to do. I want to, because we're just about up against the clock, Herb, okay. and I truly enjoyed it. I have tons and tons of questions, and I have a lot of fans and a lot of listeners that are into F-body cars, like myself. So I would like to invite you back and have okay. you come back and do, I'd like to do like a part two. And then we'll probably start a little bit earlier, So, because there's 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 got to be millions of stories. But here's one question I have to ask you that everybody's going to want to know, and I want you to think about this. Back in the okay. day when you guys were hot riders, you know, there's always these stories about, well, you know, the guy, the engineers got together, you know, and on weekends they would show up there and they would play. And so what we want to do is hear about some of the play stories and the little experimenting and all the stuff that you guys got away with that now – 40, 50 years later, you can actually talk about it because nobody's going to fire you now. You're just, uh, you know, you're telling stories and sharing it with the world. So we'd love to have you back, and uh, we'd love to have you tell those stories. Would you be willing to do that for us? Okay. Okay. Give me a warning, though, so I know what and where and when. Okay, I will certainly do that. Herb, I want to thank you very much for coming on Nostalgic Radio Cars this evening. Those are great stories. Um, you know, I mean, I, I, we ju- I like to jump around a little bit because some of the stuff you lead up to kind of bounces back and I kind of, you know, cause you want to kind of like lead up to the story and then kind of okay. say where its origin came. But we truly enjoyed having you on the show this evening. I want to wish all the best to you. I want to thank Scott Scheel, um, for, for helping us out. Big shout out to Scott, big Pontiac guy, the guys at Poncho Magazine and everything like that and all the Pontiac guys. And we sure wish Pontiac was still around because I think they made some great cars. And the Trans Am is legendary. And you had a lot to do with it. And again, I want to thank you very much for your contribution. Okay. Let me know. I'll do that. Thank you, Herb. And uh, you take care and keep in touch. Okay, good deal. And we'll, yep. we'll plan on having you back. Thank you very much. I want to thank my okay. very special guest, Herb Adams, a legendary Herb Adams, who basically got 86 for coming up with one of Pontiac's greatest little motors, the 455 Super Duty. But uh, he'll tell us a little bit more about that. Super guy, great stories. I'm delighted to have having him on the show this evening. And don't forget, all my listeners, don't forget to tune in there every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, where you can hear some of the most fascinating legend names in motorsports. Next month... If this all goes well, we're going to be rocking in Rocktober. In the meantime, don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Don't forget, Nostalgia Getting Cars for any of our past shows. Bobby, you want to give out the social media real quick? Hey, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Get out there, drive your cars, ride your motorcycles, splash around in your boats, jump around on your quads, and everybody take advantage of uh, motorized goodies, okay? Because that's what we're all about here that and music so uh, in the meantime everybody stay safe drive carefully and love your family WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.